So I don't quite get what you're saying. Try me again on that. No, but a lot, of, a lot of people don't get it and they'll misrepresent what I'm really saying. It's not that I don't think, I don't think that the Muppets are real anymore. But right. they used to be real in the beginning, but then they got puppets to replace the original actors. Oh. Mm-hmm. oh, I think the movie's going to start. Okay. Okay. What if I told you that divine providence has been at work in your life since before you were born, and it will continue to be active throughout your life, even to eternity? How do I know this? Just look at a fruit tree. It is first born from a tiny seed as a delicate sprout, Then, it gradually develops into a trunk that sends out branches and grows leaves. Then, it produces flowers, bears fruit, and sets new seeds in the fruit that provide for its endless future. This is true for all plants. Every least thing in this process is constantly and wonderfully moving from its purpose to its goal, according to the laws of its design. Could anything less miraculous be at play in your life and development? You went from childhood to young adulthood. You took in ideas that shaped how you understand the world. Your heart was inspired and filled with longing to go out into the world and live. You made choices and pursued your dreams. You lived and loved and learned from your experiences. You've grown and changed. You are renewed to live another day. If the process of divine providence is so unfailing in the formation of trees, it must by all means be so for you. The Lord's providential care is constant, though you may not know about it at all. You may not even wish to know. But hear this. It is not just some grand air current in the sky. It exists and it has been active in the smallest details of your life from your earliest stage. And it will continue through to the last and forevermore after that. You may wonder how this can be so when you see evil people achieving high rank in society, making more money than good people, and accomplishing evil things. How can divine providence be operative in all the details of these circumstances? It is, and it is unceasingly working toward its goal. The goal of divine providence does not concern what is momentary and transient, what comes to an end when our lives in this world cease. It is caring constantly for what lasts to eternity and has no end, what is genuinely real. But don't think for an instant that this means divine providence isn't intimately aware of and at work in the smallest details of your life. The streams of providence coming together at any one point in your life are more than any conceivable number. You are being carried. You may say, how can this be possible? You look at your life and only see mess. The Lord's providence is in all the smallest of details. But it doesn't follow the plan we propose to ourselves, because the Lord is both foreseeing and providing for future events. You may see mess, but the Lord is building a palace, and only the eye of the architect's mind sees what that palace is like. Whoa, that's awesome.
Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborgian Life. Today we're going to be talking about divine providence. My name is Curtis Childs and I'll be your host. With me as always, co-host Dr. Jonathan Rose. Thanks so hey, much. Hey Curtis, hey everybody. Man, that was like some film that we just saw. Oh, I have to say it blew me away. It really raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? Could that really be true that there's some kind of God's guidance over all of life? It seems almost impossible, mm. right? But yeah. remember a couple of shows ago, we did a clip just about that very thing. Oh, you mean, oh yes. Right, I love this clip. Here we go. Oops. Oh, it's, that's not supposed to look like that, is it, Stuart? No. Um, yeah, wait, sorry. It worked fine during rehearsal. Oh, well, that, that kind of derails our whole show because we were going to go right from that clip to the next thing. Wait a second. I mean, wouldn't that be providence as well? If we're saying providence is in everything, doesn't it have to be in details like that? Well, sh surely not something messed up like that. I mean, according to the, the film, even like, is that providence? Yeah, or like just a simple thing like luck, uh, flip of the coin, you know, you want to call it? Oh, uh, heads. Tails. Oh, man. Is that providence, good and bad, luck? Yeah. Well, that's just like, I feel like that's just starting opening up the questions. If God really is directing everything, why can't we see it? And... Are there any ways that it is actually possible under certain circumstances to see it? And would there be anything inside of us that's blocking us from seeing it? Mm. And what benefits would we get if we could see it? Everybody seems to want to see it. Yeah. What would we get if we could? So there's a lot of stuff that we're looking to cover in this show, and we are going to go after every single one of those questions mm. here. What we're not going to go after, though, is the why do bad things happen to good people, because we already spent a whole hour in a show trying our best to cover that. Yeah, I guess our focus is more on every little detail, and, and maybe the place to start would be with the first two questions we were talking about. Yeah, we're gonna begin with, is providence really in everything, and does providence have an influence on what we call luck? It's common practice to talk about luck or fortune. Sometimes we have good luck, sometimes bad. But is there anything behind that? Or is it all just haphazard chance with no rhyme or reason? When Swedenborg was wondering about this, he actually had a conversation with the angels around him. When an apparently lucky event happened to me, I was told by angels that it happened because spirits of that type were present. And when something unlucky happened, that the influence of those spirits predominated. In addition, evil spirits have used their skills to discover how to generate a sphere of influence producing misfortunes that look exactly like the results of chance. But why are these evil spirits around? And does that mean that anyone who's having bad luck is evil because they're in the company of these spirits? No, not at all. It's just the current spiritual environment that we're all born into. This would be like bor being born into this world where there are germs and toxins that we have to deal with. We touched on this in a recent show where we talked about our spiritual network if you want to learn more about that. So continuing with that quote. I also learned that the Lord's divine providence directs all events, even the smallest of all events, down to the smallest of the smallest, including our actual footsteps. When anything contrary to providence succeeds, misfortunes happen. The angels confirm that there is no such thing as chance, and that apparent luck or good fortune is providence on the lowest level of the divine design, where everything is relatively unpredictable. If you look at those underlined phrases in the previous quote, it, it seems like they're contradictory. But that's because there are two major aspects of divine providence. There's God's divine will, but also God's divine permission. 
There can be things that happen on earth that are against God's will, but God permits them to happen for the sake of allowing us all to freely choose our spiritual path, which is absolutely crucial. God's will has to filter down to earthly existence through the consequences of all the choices humanity has made over the centuries and the consequences of all our individual choices, all of which determines the network around us that the Lord works through. But providence uses every least part of it to lead us toward the best possible outcome that we'll consent to. There's a very deep journey that we all go on. In the day-to-day -day things that go well or wrong, what we might call luck, are the very outermost layer of divine providence. There is a great deal to know about this luck, which is divine providence in outermost matters, that I am not free to disclose. This has showed me that divine providence is present in the slightest details of our thoughts and actions. If divine providence is at work in the slightest details of such trivial matters, what else can we expect in the details of matters that are not trivial and inconsequential? So Swedenborg learned and witnessed that everything that happens has a spiritual origin. For many years, I have carefully observed to see whether luck was anything, and discovered that it was, and that prudence accomplishes nothing when luck is at work. Anyone who has mulled the question very long sees and acknowledges this, but does not know why it is. Hardly anyone knows that the spiritual world is responsible, but it is. Once when I was in company, playing a common game of chance with dice, the spirits near me were talking with me about luck in game playing. They said that good luck was represented to them by a white cloud, and bad luck by a dark cloud, and further, that when a dark cloud appeared near me, I could not win. From this sign, they also predicted my turns of fortune in the game. The experience taught me that what we attribute to luck comes from the spiritual world. This is true even for games, but especially true for the changing fortune of events in the course of our life. What we call luck, I learned, results from the influence providence exerts on the lowest levels of the divine design, where it emerges in this form. Providence lies in the most particular details of all then. As the Lord said, not even one small hair falls from our head without the will of God. The surface processes, or the way things play out in earthly life, has to do with a joint effort between our free will, the spiritual network that we're in, and divine providence. But the deeper processes that are beyond the surface, that's completely governed by divine providence. That's why nothing bad is permitted to happen unless ultimately it can lead to something for our long-term benefit. And isn't it true that often the most significant spiritual growth and change come as a result of not having things go the way we want or we're facing some kind of difficulty? It's often not until something really ugly comes along that we realize there's a real need for action here. Since it's God's will that we spiritually evolve in a state of freedom, God will permit some of the troubles that evil spirits are always wanting to bring to us for the sake of the bigger picture and bigger and more permanent healing for us. So now we get to the question, if God is actually directing everything, why don't we see it? Why don't we get a little insider information on this plan that very much affects our lives? And why in general are we not let into the details of the deeper plan. Swedenborg writes, divine providence works in this invisible, unfathomable way in order to allow us the freedom 
to ascribe events to either providence or chance. So this state, this maddening state that we're in where we don't know, God, are you listening? Are you, uh, do you have any hand in this stuff that's going on in my life? That's an important state for us to have where we can look and kind of see, oh yeah, it does look like there's providence. No, there's not. To be able to vacillate, that's actually important. It would be dangerous for providence to act in a visible, fathomable way because our eyes and minds might lead us to believe that events were providential, but afterwards we might change our mind. So truth and falsity would unite in our inner self. Because while we're in this state where we're kind of deciding, there's no harm in wavering. But if you really go in and fully believe something that's linked to morality and good of life, and then you go back and just uh, reject it and start to live a different kind of life, it actually creates a big mess spiritually. And we talked more about this in our show, about the inner meaning of the second commandment. So... It's something that's worth avoiding enough that providence, the way providence interfaces with us is designed to prevent that. So if also, if we're not ready to accept the idea that a divine being could have better ideas than we have, but even specifically better ideas about the trajectory of our own life, it's actually better that we don't even believe in divine providence. So until we're ready to kind of take the whole thing in, it's better if not even a little bit of it gets in. Why is that? Well... Swedenborg says, there is a reason why divine providence works so subtly that hardly anyone knows it is there, to keep us from dying. It's just like a pretty decent reason as far as reasons go. And this will be spiritual death, meaning the, the complete rejection of love and of God and the pursuit of the kinds of loves that make up hell. That is our own self-importance, which is what motivates us, never cooperates with divine providence. Our self-importance has an inborn hatred of divine providence. Because divine providence is trying to lead you to be somebody that doesn't consider themselves better than others, that gives you the kind of blessings that make you part of a whole rather than the coolest person in the universe. And to the ego, no, this is exactly what it hates because ego always wants short-term gratification at the expense expense of others if it needs to be, rather than this long-term human race inclusive benefit. Because divine providence is looking not just at what's good for you for the next year or even 10 years, but what's good for you forever. And this ego is looking in exactly the opposite direction. And it's really trying to destroy us at the same time because it's leading us to all these places that don't help us at all. And providence keeping us away from this sort of the negativity monster in us is actually a lot of work. Hey, look at me. I'm lifting up this really heavy bag of rocks and it's easy. Although really, there's more than just my efforts holding up this bag. There are these people putting all their strength into taking the weight off this bag through a pulley system. And if I didn't have that mechanism at play, it would be a much different story. All right. (sighs) Nope. Our ego is a part of us that is spiritually dense and heavy. Left to itself, it would drag us right down into endless selfishness and greed. And the truth is, We really can't lift it up on our own. Not happening. Fortunately, divine providence is always there to help. Working behind the scenes, divine providence creates a situation where we can freely maneuver while carrying the massive weight of the unpurified ego. Divine providence counteracts the stubborn resistance our egos would insert and makes it possible for us to go through life with the ability to choose, that we can maneuver up or down despite the weight of the whole program. Without that constant help, we wouldn't have a chance of wanting anything except, you know, ego kind of selfish stuff. And we wouldn't have any chance to choose to open to the higher selves. And for the most part, we have no idea that this kind of help is happening and why. 
Why would Divine Providence mostly have to operate secretly? Well, imagine a scenario like this. Say I'm at a party, hanging out with someone that I like a lot, but who has gotten me into a lot of serious trouble. And say there's another friend of mine who really cares about me and has seen the effects of my relationship with this other guy. If that friend tries to directly confront the situation, it may not go so well. As you can see, this direct approach completely backfires if I really like my connection with this sketchy friend and want to hold on to it. Rather than helping, this approach just made me rebel because I want to make my own choices. This approach might just bond me even more strongly with the person that really isn't good for me. If the friend who really cares about my welfare realizes the risk of a direct confrontation, that friend can use a different approach. If I'm bound to rebel against the direct interference of my will, a wise friend will find a way to help that is less direct. It doesn't guarantee that I won't go find my shady friend later, but it averts some possible immediate danger and offers different options of company. In the end, I'm going to choose, but this friend who cares tries to make my options wider and to introduce better options. So there we have not just a gripping story, but a very potent analogy for the parts of our own mind that Providence is trying to navigate us away from. The bad friend is something in all of us. We all have this love of self or the lower ego, which we consider our friend because when we live the kind of life that it wants us to live, we get these lows, but also these like dopamine hits when we do the kinds of things that it's pushing us towards. So in an unregenerate state, if we saw God trying to pull us away from our friend, we would get angry because we, we don't want to go to these, all oh, these other people aren't cool, this loving others, this treating people well, this trusting in God. I don't want that stuff. That's not hip. That's not cool like my bad friend. So if you're going to fight the, the person helping you, if you're going to fight God on this anyway, it's better if you just don't see the operation at all and only afterwards get shown, look, we, we really led you to a much better place than, than the road you were headed down there. But even if we're not totally coming from selfish motivations, if we're just not ready to see the whole picture and trust that God has a better plan for our life than we have, uh, it's better if we're just not in on it. Because even if we say, all right, I, God, we're going to partner on this, but then we, why did you do this? I really don't trust your judgment making. Okay, I'm taking this back over. We would actually resist and interfere with the delicate processes that divine providence is trying to work in our spirit and setting us up for the future. So it's important that we either know it and are ready to accept all of it, or we just, okay, it's in your hands. And actually, Swedenborg makes this fascinating claim that people who are in the stream of providence, or have accepted this idea and taken it to heart, they don't even want to know the future, because they think, I don't want to have a chance to mess up what providence is trying to do here. So that's a pretty awesome level of trust there. Okay, so we've talked about ways in which we can't see divine providence, but are there any ways in which we can? Recognizing divine providence, Swedenborg says, is possible, but there are things that get in the way. And as is so often the case, he helpfully tells us what it is that interferes. Here's divine providence 175. Superficial views, okay, superficial views, looking from the outside, and consequent illusions blind our discernment, and our discernment cannot gain any sight unless the illusions that blind it and the distortions that becloud it, what a wonderful expression, are dispelled. This cannot be accomplished except by means of truths that have the inherent power to dispel distortions. So if we're willing to look at things from a deeper, more spiritual perspective, 
that's going to be necessary to see even a hint of divine providence. But even if we start to see something, or, or even if we can't see it, it's important to try to develop that trust in it and to begin to visualize it in certain ways. So when I think about visualizing it, there's things that we go through in our lives that feel very painful and baffling. Why am I going through this? This feels horrible. You know, it seems like it does you no good whatsoever. But imagine concrete physical examples of pain that we go through, like these that are on screen here, that we go through in order to get a good benefit later, delayed gratification, right? So people go through endurance training. They train for the Olympics. They train for marathons and so on. They go through all kinds of pain and suffering in order to get to something good in the future. We go through dental procedures in order to have better teeth when we're, when we're older. We go through painful physical therapy because we want to unfreeze that shoulder and be able to move more freely again. And this is even true with breaking bad habits. What's worse than giving up smoking or something like that? but people are willing to go through that short-term pain because they get to a long-term benefit. Okay, but the problem with the spiritual version of that is that we don't see the long-term benefit. We don't know, and, and there's no coach, no mentor telling us, oh, hey, go through this, this'll be good. In this world, we'll have people who we trust, a mentor, a teacher, or somebody will tell us, you need to go through this. But what's the equivalent of that on a spiritual level? It takes more trust. So even if we can't see that something good is going on, maybe we can start to have that more spiritual point of view that maybe even this horrible thing you're going through is leading to some kind of future healing and happiness. Something good is coming from that. When we look at things from a purely materialistic perspective, we really can't see divine providence at all. And when you look around yourself in life, it just seems like, well, there couldn't possibly be a God. Look at all these people who are evil, who are preying on the good, all these, you know, identity theft and all these terrible things that go on. Isn't it the truth that evil people often get the upper hand or, or fool good people? Swedenborg says, well, sure. But when you're looking at that, you're just looking at something on the surface and something that's temporary. There are spiritual ways to look at things that are very different. What would analogy be? An analogy might be like, like think about a walnut or something. The first time you ever, if you didn't know what that was, the first time you encounter that, it just seems hard as a rock and you'd believe it's just a, a useless little ball. You have no idea looking at it from the outside that it has food on the inside, and not only food, but that has the power to yield many, many trees full of food in the future. There are wonderful things inside there, but they're really kind of tough to, to get at. And so earthly life is just like that. When we're taking an external perspective on our lives, don't they look kind of like that walnut? It's just hard as a rock and we can't see any point to what we're going through. We don't even realize that there's spiritual nourishment inside there. There's much more going on underneath the surface. And one of the things that we need to develop is that perspective that there's more to this than meets the eye. This is what Swedenborg says in Divine Providence. Spiritual people think and speak differently though within themselves, even though they do not sense the ongoing workings of divine providence in their thoughts or see it with their eyes. They still know 
and acknowledge it. That's fascinating. You can't even see it with your thoughts. You don't see it with your eyes. But still, at some deep level, you realize that it's going on. And a big way that this happens is through looking into the past because there's a time and a state component to this. Swedenborg says that the best way to see divine providence is in the distant past. As you look back on the most difficult things you've been through, and this can take decades before you see it, but if you look at the very distant past, you can sometimes see that better things were going on. And when we're in a more spiritual state than a natural state. Think back to what Curtis went through at that party. He's there with his, with his friends. Uh, he does not want to leave that party. The good friend is really helping him. But if the good friend said, look, I'm just trying to get you out of the party here, Curtis would be resistant because he loves the other friend and he thinks everything's great. Hey, this party's so fun. But later, how might he look at that situation? He might look back with a much better perspective and say, hey, this friend saved me from trouble. I'm really grateful about what went on. So let's hear Divine Providence 175 again. Swedenborg says, we are allowed to see Divine Providence. Isn't that a great thing? We're allowed to see it. But here's the qualifications. From behind, quote unquote, not face to face. And when we're in a spiritual state, not in a materialistic state. So we can see it in the distance. Everybody wants to find out right now, like, what should I do now? Why isn't divine providence telling me, you know, should I be with this person or that person? Should I go to lunch or should I stay at work? uh, You can't see it right in the face like that. But in the distant past, you can start to see that something was going on. And particularly when you're lifted up into a spiritual state, you start to realize, wow, there were all kinds of blessings that came out of that. So, When we're going through a bad stretch, we can actually get a more spiritual perspective on that and realize that rather than shutting down or hating God or being angry or thinking we've been abandoned or our life is worthless or we're some cosmic giant mistake, we can look at those situations to see how can I use this to learn and to grow. And a real prize would be to get to the point where we're actually curious to think about, oh, this seems horrendous what I'm going through right now. I wonder what good could come out of it at some point. There's something really cool on the other side of that wall. This is the state of mind, the life upgrade we get when we bring this idea of divine providence that we've been talking about into our heart and into our life and actually start to see it as a self-evident truth. It's really where you want to be, but we can't get there because there's this blockade. And what is this composed of? What keeps us from having the kind of peace and trust in life that we really should have as our sort of spiritual birthright? Well, let's look piece by piece at what it's composed of. And it's primarily stuff that has to do with this grand choice. Do we trust our own prudence or the divine providence? Let's look element by element. What's this, what's this rock here at the bottom? Trust in our own, as Swedenborg would put it, shrewdness. But this subject is barely accessible to any human mind, least of all to the minds of those who trust in their own shrewdness. Such people take credit for anything that turns out well for them. All other events they ascribe to luck or chance. Few of them attribute anything to divine providence. So the more we're putting into our artifice, the less we believe that there could be a God who's more intelligent and more involved than we are. They fail to consider that the real divine blessing is to be happy forever. 
The Lord regards transitory effects, and anything experienced in the world is relatively transitory, simply as a means to eternal ends. And that's a fascinating perspective, but if, if we're living forever, it's true. That what, what kind of promotions you get, whether the particular goal A is met, whether these people do what you want them to do when you want it, all of that is just peanuts compared to eternity. But if we're wrapped up in the details of this, the rat race and the, the little Game of Thrones we're playing with our life, uh, you're not going to be able to let this divine providence in. But look, our wall's still there. That's not all this stuff. So the next one that really gets in the way here is longing for wealth and important positions. Swedenborg continues in the same number. The Lord provides whatever contributes to the happiness of their, meaning our, eternal life. Riches and high positions for anyone to whom they are harmless and no riches or high positions for anyone to whom they are harmful. Still, Instead of giving the latter status and wealth in the realm of time, meaning this earth, he enables them to be happy with a little and to be more content than the rich and important. Now, Swedenborg is not saying you have to be poor to be spiritual. He says there are plenty of people who have powerful positions and a lot of wealth that are very, doing very well spiritually. But the difference is, if we have our heart so set on those things that if we don't get them, we're discontent, that's a problem because we don't, we think, oh, I want to be rich because I want to be able to do these things with this particular bunch of money, but we don't know what that richness would actually do to the trajectory of our spiritual life. He says God distributes that stuff if it won't be harmful to us. If we were going to go in a spiritual direction, that's good, but then we start to get all important and that feeds our love of self and it takes back all the regenerative steps that we've made, it'd be much better for us if we didn't get it. So, there's a consolation prize, which is that providence, if it can't give you that, is going to give you the right states of mind to be happy with what you have, knowing that all this stuff, wealth and position, passes away in, in the blink of an eye in comparison to eternity. So we got that, but then there's more. Another rock that's kind of keeping us out of there is accepting outward appearances. Swedenborg writes, It is different for people who do not let any inflow from heaven, but only from this world, especially people who have become complete materialists by accepting outward appearances as absolute truth. So the way things seem, they confuse that with the way things actually are. They see no trace of divine providence from behind or after the fact, but they do want to see it face to face or before things happen. Since divine providence works through means, and since these means include us in this world, if people like this were to see it either face to face or behind, they would ascribe it either to themselves or to the material world, and so become even more certain in their denial. So if we're saying, I'm not, I refuse to believe in anything beyond the physical world, if there's really divine providence, show me like a glowing beam of light moving things, we're never going to see divine providence then, because divine providence works through means. We are inside God's system, so if God is pulling levers, we're the levers. It's not that there's a, a divine providence operating outside the things that are already set up in the physical world. The decisions people make, the way events go, this is all providence in outmost. But if you already have this mindset that, no, I'm, unless there's something obviously supernatural, it could never be an indicator that there's a deeper reality behind this one. You're going to, even if you saw providence working through people, you would say, no, nah, just, that just shows there's nothing more than the material world. And finally, and this might be the most load-bearing boulder in this whole thing here, in our sense of self-importance. 
Swedenborg writes this, People who have become spiritual by virtue of their recognition of God and have become wise by casting off their sense of self-importance see divine providence in the whole world and in every least part of it. And isn't that fascinating that us thinking that we're more important than everyone else doesn't let us see how providence is actually arranging things in this wonderful way. They see it if they look at natural events. They see it if they look at civic events. They see it if they look at spiritual events in the way things coincide and the way they follow in sequence, in purpose in, and means and results, in useful events, in forms, in things great and things small. Because if we look at the way the plan is actually operating. Once we have this self of import, self, sense of self-importance driving everything, we think, if the plan does well for me, then there is divine providence. But once we realize the actual goals, we understand the language providence is speaking, then we start to see it everywhere and in everything. And so if, if we remove all these blocks from ourselves, then yeah, you can get to a state where this thing goes away and we can step into this wonderful state of peace that divine providence brings. So we've come all this way, we're talking about how do we see providence? Providence is everywhere, what do we need to remove in us to see it? But why? What's the point of us trying to be able to observe the divine operation? Curiosity? Yeah, is that it? Is that really worth that much effort? But Swedenborg happens to say that there are some really high-end benefits to being able to see the operation of providence or believe in it. This is from Secrets of Heaven. Okay. This truth, which I am calling peaceful truth, is divine truth itself from the Lord as it exists in heaven. It affects everyone there without exception and makes heaven heavenly. Relatively important. Within peace, you see, lies trust in the Lord. Trust that He is in complete charge, takes care of everything, and leads it to a good ending. When we believe this, we are at peace. Because we then fear nothing and have no worries about the future to disturb us. The more we love the Lord, the more we enter this state. Mm. Doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, so I guess there's a lot of headroom in in loving the Lord, like that you can love more and more deeply and trust more and more. And I imagine the longer you go along, you can see, oh, that seemed really bad, but actually it worked out for the best. This seemed bad, but it worked out for the best. Yeah, you know. So the pattern may continue. Amazing to think providence at the heart of the the heavenly state like that. Yes, he goes on. Evil, and especially arrogant self-assurance... That's me. (laughs) Hello. ...always does away with a state of peace. There is an assumption that the evil are at peace when they feel happy and calm because everything is going well for them, but this is not peace. It is a calm of appetite satisfied, which merely imitates a state of peace. Oh. When the tension ends and you sort of get what you want or something like that, yeah. Right, right, but just kind of the front end of another cycle of dissatisfaction. That's right. In the other life, it turns into dissatisfaction because it is the opposite of peaceful satisfaction. Displeasure lies hidden inside it. Amazing. In the other life, our outer layers are gradually peeled away down to the core. Mm. Peace lies at the core of all happiness and even of unhappiness in people committed to what is good. Now that's a high bar. That, that's cool. <laughs> so even if things are going wrong, you still know in the end it's going to be... You still know. It, it's good. It's all good. The more they shed their outer layers then, the more a state of peace is revealed and they experience good fortune, bliss, and happiness, whose origin is the Lord Himself. I'm very interested that even good fortune makes that list where you're just a little luckier or something, you know, like things just go well. Oh, that worked out well. Yes, and it's not all just being at peace with how things go. The things actually do go a little bit Yeah, yeah, things are actually going better. He continues, about this state of peace existing in heaven, it can be said that by its very nature it is indescribable. 
and that as long as we are still in the world, no worldly concepts can introduce it into our thoughts or perceptions. Try as we may. Yeah. <laughs> We're right, not right. going to succeed here. This show was a failure. It transcends all our earthly senses. The calm, disposition, contentment, and cheerfulness that success brings are nothing by comparison. Wow. So many people think, oh, if I could just be successful, that's the goal. Yeah. Right? Because then I'd have that calm disposition, that contentment, that cheerfulness. But he said, no, there's a much higher, much better thing that you can aim for. That's actually a pretty potent statement because I've, you know, at times have succeeded at things and you do think, well, that, that's why you got to try to succeed again. But he's saying that, that there's a whole other game out there. Yeah. These have a merely superficial effect, whereas peace affects our very deepest elements, our first substances and the rudiments of those substances. From there, peace branches and pours out into developments from those substances and rudiments, lending charm to them and joy and bliss to the wellspring of our thoughts and consequently to the purposes of our life. In this way, it makes our mind a heaven. Yeah, I, he said, I won't know what he's talking about, but I love that image. It's sort of like if you're freezing and then you stand near a fire, you're sort of warmed on the outside, but you're still freezing and trembling mm -hmm. inside or something, as opposed to being just thoroughly warm and comfortable inside. And this sounds like it's this kind of comfort that comes from the deepest part of yourself and just spreads out. You know, that feeling of sort of melting or something. Uh, it, it sounds delicious. So beautiful. And the idea that human beings can experience a state like that is why I like hanging around the Swedenborg stuff in the first place. I mean, that's, that's right. It's part of the promise. And so this is also why it's worth trying to pursue this divine belief in a divine providence if that's the result. Yeah, yeah. So uh, everybody, mm. that's our show. We hope you enjoyed walking through point to point with us. And if you did, even in the slightest, don't be afraid to like and subscribe. That does a lot for us here on YouTube to help get these ideas out to other people. Yeah, and we're a nonprofit and we don't put ads on the show. So the way that we get revenue is from donors and so on. So if you feel moved and if you're able to do it, you could join us on Patreon. Then you can give a small monthly gift and we give you behind the scenes outtakes and other frivolous videos to, to cheer up your day. Just a little thank you from us to you. I'd also like to ex extend a thank you to you. Jonathan Rose has been a thank lot of fun. Thank you to you, Curtis. And thanks to all of you out there, and we'll see you next week. Wow. That was breathtaking. Totally. Are you ready to go? Sure, yeah.